This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. Season 9, Episode 6. I'm John DeCarlo, AlScoop.com's editor. We do have a mostly full house this week. Declan Landis, Ramir Vaughn, Giants Wislek, Kyle Gauss. Not on The Scoop with us today, but he's going to be covering the game Saturday, so that'll be fun. Thank goodness. It's yes. about time. We're yeah. excited. So we had a great show for you guys today. We're going to be looking back at Temple's 41-9 win over Norfolk State. And, of course, preview Saturday's big game against number 20, Miami. Hurricanes are coming to Lincoln Financial Field. Plus, we'll go one-on-one with Temple Safety Taiwan Francis, who has certainly been an impact player for the Owls as a transfer from Colorado State. He's been great to talk to in a short time at Temple, and our interview with him was no exception. So uh, excited to bring that to you guys. A lot of great insight from him about his life, his career, his outlook on this weekend's game. Got some mailbag questions uh, to answer for you guys as well. The Scoop. As always, brought to you guys by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured while on the road or highway and the crash was someone else's fault, insurance company is not going to be on your side. You need us, Temple Law grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, call us today at 215-261-7359. It's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That is greenspans dash law.com right, before we go any further in this week's podcast we'll tell you all of course that we're recording this week with some very heavy hearts as all of you probably know at this point temple's acting president joanne epps passed away on tuesday at the age of 72 president epps was attending the memorial service for charles Bloxon uh, over at the performing arts center when she fell ill and was later rushed to temple university hospital was pronounced dead there at 3 15 p.m uh, so many of you listening probably know her story by now. She started out working at Temple's bookstore, went on to an amazing career from there. She first joined Temple's faculty in 1985, later became the dean of Temple's Beasley School of Law from 2008 to 2016 before she became Temple's executive vice president and provost. She, of course, became Temple's acting president in April. Yeah, I texted Chris Wiesahan yesterday, Temple's offensive line coach, when the news was breaking and, and he was of course shocked and he texted me and said she really, really loved football and it sounds like she really loved the football program at Temple. I'm sure a lot of you probably heard her a few weeks ago. It wasn't more than a few weeks ago when she was on 97.5 The Fanatic when they were here on campus. And you know, when she talked about being a sports fan, she spoke in great depth and, and detail about sports, college sports, Temple sports, pro sports, and and her love of sports was, was real and evident and genuine. And I can't say that I ever had the the privilege of of you know really talking to her one on one, but so many people at Temple just like there's never a bad word to say about her, and she was you know the perfect person to take over back in April's Temple's interim president. So of course we're all just really 
really, really shocked and saddened by by her passing. And of course, our hearts go out to her family, the university community here. And one of the stories I wanted to pass along, a lot of you know that in addition to the stuff I do for Scoop, I, I work full time at Temple and, and uh, you know, work with you guys. I advise three of the student media outlets and I'm fortunate enough to work with Claire Smith of the Claire Smith uh, Sports Media Center. One of the people I work with there is Karen Turner, who's really one of Temple's truly best teachers. She was recognized as an outstanding faculty member a few years ago. And at five o'clock yesterday afternoon, we were on a Zoom call to just kind of just share our thoughts and talk. And, and Karen shared this really, really cool story. And I think she'll probably be quoted about it in the Temple News later this week where Karen eventually went to Dartmouth but she was touring Trinity and she said this was back in 1972 and the person who took her on her tour was Joanne Epps and I think Karen told you know told Joanne I might end up going to Dartmouth and then when Karen came back here as a faculty member all those years later Joanne said I know you I took you on a tour at Trinity and you went to Dartmouth instead and she's like well finally we got to work together and the way Karen delivered the story it was just really 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 beautiful because in those moments people are sharing stories and you know sometimes you know people just don't know what else to say other than I'm sorry and they reflect on it It, you guys know Karen she's wonderful and uh, such a great teacher and the way she delivered that story was just really really beautiful so again our hearts go out to you know to President Epps's family she's married to L. Harrison Jay who's a longtime Temple employee and just our hearts go out to him and the, the memorial service at the bell tower was earlier today. It was really, really nicely done. So really, really hard week at, at, at Temple. It was just a couple of days ago, she was sharing the email about the U.S. News and World Report rankings and was so excited about it. So uh, just wanted to let everyone know that we're thinking about her and, and want to do this podcast in, uh, in her memory this week. Um, really no good segue out of this. We'll... Uh, jump into what we do every week season nine episode six famous number sixes guys there's some some truly big ones yeah yes um did you say you were excited about one for this week because it's my hero it's my growing up this guy was my hero you know my idol i looked up to him ryan howard the big yeah. piece good one yeah yeah i mean just he I thought was, it was the, gonna be somebody like really obscure yeah. no no i don't you know i don't do that um i <laughs> You know, he was a hero to me. He hit my my one of my favorite memories of all time is the Cardinal series. Um, I forget what year it was, 2011 maybe, mm-hmm. 2010. I, I can't remember, but he hit that massive home run. That was on my birthday. Like that was the greatest gift. You know, that a little a little Declan could have gotten <laughs> a little Declan. So I remember vividly sitting it How sitting on the you? couch. I have no idea. I was it probably was, like it was 2011. 2011. Was it 2011? So it was it was my ninth birthday. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember vividly sitting on our family friend's couch. I was stuffed to the gills. We had burgers and, and whatnot, and watching that home run, my mind was just blown. It was a beautiful stuffed to moment. the gills. Mom, give me a night burger <laughs> <laughs> an ice cream cake. I want ice cream cake, and I want a Ryan Howard no, home run. I was not like that. That was not me. I did have an ice cream cake though that year. Um, but so I was right. Good it was job, either yeah. ice cream cake or ice cream pie. I can't remember. I was a big ice cream pie guy. Tomato, tomato. Ice cream pie. What? Yeah, it's just ice cream and a pie cr- uh, pie crust. I've it's never delicious. had that. That might be fire. It's delicious. It sounds like it's it'd be really good, though. It's unbelievable. You put a little whipped cream and chocolate sauce on that thing. Oh, come man. on now. Is it the gremlin? I do like the the Oreo cookie Ooh. crust. Ooh. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Hey, we got. We might got. We might got tried it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta. I gotta try that. <laughs> what now, about now famous hungry. number six is for you guys? Um, smoking Jay Cutler. 
Ooh, that's Smoke a good one. Smoking <laughs> The first one, the first one that popped in my head was I remember LeBron wore six in Miami. That was mm-hmm. the first one that popped in my head. It's a great answer. Some other big ones. Uh, another big one, it's Baker Mayfield got. when he was with Cleveland. Baker Mayfield. <laughs> he wears six now, doesn't he? I think he does wear six now. Actually, I, I don't fully know, but I knew I know yeah. he wore it in Cleveland. He wears six now. All right, trivia time. Oh no! Oh, what, yeah. super, <laughs> what super famous? Philadelphia 76 award number six. Julius. Oh, Julius Dr. J. Dr. J. Dr. J. What super famous Boston Celtics player award number six? Bill, Bill Russell. Russell. There we go. All right. It was in there. We're on the right track now. On the right track. Declan's added sound effects this week. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to hit it, but I will now, guys. Great segment. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think that really just brings the whole podcast. Like it yeah. adds an element to it that we haven't had. It, it does. Really does. I just think that the problem here is that you don't know moderation and that this is, yep. <laughs> See, <laughs> this is going to be, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long show. <laughs> You're welcome. Temple. Fans. <laughs> All right. So we promised you our interview with Taiwan Francis temples, graduate safety, Obviously, it's made a huge impact already. He had the, I guess, game ceiling interception, you could call it, in the Akron game. And then he's been a single digit. He wasn't one of the original single digits heading into the season, but he has worn that number four you know, heading into each of these games. You'll hear him when he's talking to us. He mentioned this after Saturday's game. He talked about how he prefers to earn it every week. You'll hear him talk about that in the interview here. But a lot of great stuff about looking ahead to Saturday's game against Miami, what they'll be facing there with a really good quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, the the good receivers that they have, and guys like uh, Xavier Restrepo, Colby Young, and Colby George. Just wrapping up conversation about what happened to those guys a couple weeks ago against Rutgers and uh, just some other cool stuff, a couple of uh, mailbag questions that we got to ask him as well. So we will have more for you here after the interview on the other side. All right, we're fortunate to have Temple Safety Taiwan Francis on the scoop with us this week. Taiwan, appreciate you making time for us. How you doing? Doing good, man. Thank you guys for having me. Taiwan, I'd be kind of remiss if I didn't ask you. I I know you're new to Temple, but when you guys get news as a football team yesterday that that Joanne Epps, Temple's acting president, has passed away, I know maybe, I don't know if you ever got the chance to meet her, but she was such a huge sports fan. You know, what goes through your mind and what goes through the program's mind when you guys get news like that? Um, It was a very tragic loss for the Temple family. However, I'm a new student here new athlete, but coaches expressed how uh, ideally she loved the football team. And, um, you know, I'm always performing for my fans and people who are excited for the game of football. So it was a tragic loss. And, uh, you know, I wanted to pay my condolences to her and her family. Just shifting, there's no real good segue out of that, but just shifting over to, to football now. What's it like? You know, you guys, you, you had the tough loss at Rutgers. And then was was last week, you know, beating Norfolk State as much as you guys did. You go, you go in, you beat them like you should. You guys kind of overpowered them, had a good performance on defense, good performance on offense. Was that almost kind of like a like a get right game for you guys? Almost kind of palate cleanser that gets you guys feeling good about yourselves and just gets you gets you ready for you know facing a ranked team, facing the twentieth ranked team in the country, heading into the into the Miami game. No, I wouldn't look at it as um, a get right game. I would look at it as um, a game that we use to like execute, execute our job and get better. Um, just like we'll do the same this weekend to Miami. Um, 
each week we try to go in and clean up mistakes that we made previously. And we try to go out and clean it up with our next performance. And um, last week we went out and we beat Norfolk State 41-9. This week we're trying to keep the ball rolling and um, focus on executing again at a high level as we get ready for Miami. Just going back to that Rutgers game before I turn it over to Declan here. Again, that was a 13 to 7 game, nine seconds in the fourth quarter. And then what what happened there? What turned for you guys? Because people are going to look at the final score and look at it, but that was you guys were in that game. Despite some of the mistakes you guys made, you guys were were going kind of toe-to-toe with them, overcoming right. mistakes. What happened in the fourth quarter? I would I would say it came down to lack of execution in the fourth quarter. I feel like in Crunch time, we made mistakes, critical mistakes on our end. Um, and it was a robbery game. And you, I feel like we shot ourselves in the foot in that game. Like you said, um, was toe-to-toe when we executed and did our job. And we, we came in and competed. And um, I feel like the mistakes we made in critical crunch time moments um, came back and, and bit us. And that's what led to the final score, in my opinion. Taiwan, you've already talked a little bit about, you know, going out and executing this weekend against Miami. Obviously, they're 3-0. and They're ranked 20th in the country. They've got a good quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke and a good running back in Henry Parrish and a, a trio of good receivers in Xavier Restrepo, Colby Young, and Jacoby George. Um, what do you see of these guys on film? And I know you can't give away the game plan, but where can you attack this offense? And, and what's the key to you disrupting what they do and, and going out there and executing this weekend? Like you said, um, you named some good receivers on there, and we just gotta go in preparing them, um, preparing to cover them. When we play defensive back, we gotta wherever they throw the football, we have to cover it. Um, they're very explosive offensively, not only at the receiver position but on at the running back position as well. So we gotta be able to play good in space this week, and we have to be able to cover good in space. We have to find ways to to basically meet them, meet them, meet them at their game plan and be able to compete with them at their game plan and disrupt them because we know what they're going to try to come out and do. We just got to find a way to fill them out during the game and figure out what, what exactly they're trying to do. They're trying to, we're going to try to disrupt them in many ways that we can. That can be getting after the quarterback. That could be um, rolling coverages. That could be, that could be anything. How I wanted to switch gears. A little bit tomorrow you're going to find out whether or not you're going to be a single digit again you've been a single digit every game this year so far um you said after last week's mm-hmm. win, <clears throat> excuse me you said after last week's win that you you have to earn it every week that it keeps you on your toes it looks like where we sit you've become like a leader within the program both in you know how you play and off the field in the locker room and when you come in as a transfer how do you establish yourself as the leader that's a tricky question. Coming in, I wasn't trying to establish myself as the leader. That wasn't the mindset. Um, the mindset was coming in, was proving that I could, you know, come in and and help win, proving myself not only the coaches but my teammates. With me doing that, I gained the respect of not only my coaches but my teammates. I feel like that's what got me to the position I am in today. Um, it wasn't more so me coming in, trying to be the leader. It was more so me coming in, trying to play my part, do my do my part, and do my part at the best of my ability. And why I did that 
while doing that, um, I gained respect in my my coaches and uh, my teammates. Taiwan, you've talked about this before, kind of going back to like the whole transfer portal and getting here to Temple. I mean, what led to your decision to enter the portal? And can you just kind of take us through how you ended up here at Temple? My first four years, I played football at Colorado State. And um, I felt as though throughout my time there, I played under three head coaches, Coach Mike Bobo, Coach Steve Adagio, Coach G Novell. With that, I played with three different defensive coordinators as well. So um, I felt like it was just different schemes and a level of inconsistency from the higher-ups. And um, I wanted to come to a set culture who had like a set standard on what they were trying to put out for as a brand, a culture and coaching staff who had expectations of winning. Like right now, and um, that's what kind of led to me hopping into the portal with um, one more year left to play football. And um, if I was going to do that my last year in college football, I was going to try to do it the right way. That's what kind of led me to my decision hopping into the transfer portal. However, Coach Smith, he coached with me um, at Colorado State my um, junior year. And um, he left when Coach Dazio had got fired. And we still had kept in contact. And um, when I was in the transfer portal, you know, he reached out to me. When it came down to my, my final decision in December, it was between um, Temple and the University of Virginia. I felt as though on my official visit, you know, when, when I met with Coach Smith and the staff, um, we were on the same page. And, um, I felt like for his expectations, not only for the team, but for me as well to come in and help align. And that's what led me here. Taiwan at Colorado State, you know, you played well, you know, and you played well, like you said, under under three different defensive coordinators, and that's not easy to do, shifting through different systems and stuff. You had 176 total tackles there, but you, you hadn't gotten an interception there. And then in the season opener this year, at a time when you guys needed it, and you really clamped down in the second half against Akron, and you got that game-clinching interception that was really just that sealed off the game. How did that feel? Obviously, I'm sure it had to feel good, but how did that feel for you to get it, not only at that time in the game, but just to help your new team get the win and then just take us through what you saw there on that play? As far as how I felt, um, it felt real, real good, man. Um, I felt like um, that's been a position, like just that time in the game, like crunch time moments, making those plays a crunch time moment. It's something I haven't showed that I can do in my previous school, and I feel like doing that within the game one, I feel like that was very, very, what's the word I can use for it? Um, very establishing and very, it's a very good feeling for me, just establishing myself, not only here at Temple, but to my teammates, you know, letting them know they can count on me in the critical moments, not only throughout the game, but in critical moments in the game, in crunch time situations. So that was something that was special to me. Or as like being at Colorado State, I felt as though, like, being there, I was in a position to do that. I was in a position to showcase those things. Nick, we got a couple of mailbag questions for you that we got from uh, some from our subscribers at Al Scoops. These are a couple of questions coming from them. These are their screen names I'm reading. The first one is from a screen name named TJ Clark. And uh, the question for you there is, of the new wide receivers and tight ends, uh, who shows the greatest promise for the future or is making the most rapid improvement? And then which receiver on the roster – gives you the biggest challenge as a deep ball threat during practice. So, you know, who who impresses you uh, on the other end of the ball when you're going up against these guys in practice? Um, one-on-one, guys that impress me, I would go on Mott Anderson, 
a receiver. John Adams is a guy who can go downfield. Dante Wright as well. Can't forget Dante. And um With each other for a while. The right? young guys. Yeah, yeah. My guy. Um and the young guys, I like X. Irvin. Irvin's a real good he's a real explosive guy. Um got good routes, good hands. He get out his breaks. So um he's a he's another young guy that I might get good work with in the slot. At tight end, you know, we got Jordan Smith, J.O., and um, DMR, those guys are great work too. So I feel like I get the whole the whole nine at practice when I'm preparing. Well, another mailbag question we got here. The screen name is North Broad. question there is, did you stay up for or and watch your alma mater uh, against Colorado? And then what are your thoughts on, on Coach Prime and just what he's doing out there? Oh, man, I actually didn't watch the entire game. Um, I started off watching it. You know, I, I wanted to go out and celebrate my win this weekend and um try to put that behind me. But when I saw the win with Colorado, um, it was I seen it was a close game. Um Coach Prime put in put together a good game plan and I felt like them coming down and winning the game at OT says a lot for them forward for their future. So hats off to Coach Prime and the buffs. I think I had the chance to ask you about this after the game Saturday. Can you talk again for, for people maybe who didn't hear you after Saturday's game, talk about what Jaquez Smith has done for you guys. I mean, I'm sure that you saw him come in as a true freshman and maybe you knew this was coming, but you talked on Saturday about how it's it's fun to see a young guy come in and it kind of energizes everybody. Can you give our listeners just a taste of like what you started to see? Could you tell that this was coming up for him? And then just what does it mean for you guys as a defense too, when the offense can stay on the field a little bit more and he helps them sustain drives? I definitely saw this coming in practice on him just because when he first came in, he started off, you know, giving the defense a look just running up and trying to tackle him in open space or in between tackle, you know, I kind of see how uh, difficult of a task that was firsthand. Now I'm like, you know, this, he's a young guy, but like he, he has a little twitch to him. It's a little something different about him, you know, in open space when he got the football in his hand. I seen his reps start to increase as we start going on in camp. And um, that's something that not only I noticed, but the coaching staff noticed. And um, before you know it, we start seeing him get the, Get, get get carries in the game. I knew it was only a matter of time for him. Just to see what he does in practice translating the game is what's exciting for me. I feel like that's was the major key is, you know, I see you do it in practice, but like, you know, getting it to translate to Saturday is the biggest piece. So that's what I feel is the most exciting part about it. I want to switching gears a little bit again. When did you start playing football? And like, how did you get introduced to the game? I started playing football when I was seven years old. I got introduced to the game um, through my uncle. When my uncle came back in town, he actually stayed in Atlanta at the time. This when I was staying in New Orleans. I was six years old. My brother was eight going on nine. And he came he came to the house and asked, do you want to play football? And we know we told him, yeah. But he was actually being serious. He was like, you know, I'm going to put this movie on for y'all. You know, I want y'all to watch tonight, and I'm gonna come back tomorrow, and I want y'all to give me an answer. If you, if you like, seen the movie, it was actually about a girl playing football, and she actually played linebacker. Her name was like Becky the Icebox. She was a linebacker who hit hard, but she also was like a cheerleader too. So 
as a boy, you know, me and my brothers were like, if a girl can play football, we can do it too. Like, so when my uncle came back, you know, it was like, yeah, we want to do it. That's when we started getting into it. And um, at, at a young age, you know, he was kind of hard on us because we actually took it serious. You know, we worked out, trained and stuff like that. So we kind of we kind of got into it at a young age. And Taiwan, we, we missed the name of the movie. What was it called? The Little Giants. Oh, that's a great movie. Great movie. Big fan of that movie. Um, so kind of flashing forward then, you know, you watch the Little Giants get you into football and then playing high school at Landry Walker in New Orleans. You know, you're part of the mm-hmm. state championship team your sophomore year. But, you know, outside of that, you were all district and you were an honor roll student as well. Like, can you take us through what football is like in Louisiana and, you know, talk a little bit about your your high school life? Well, I'm from um the football coach is real, real big, man. Not only high school football, but New Orleans Saints. Um, you know, my family, the culture, and the city—they love football dearly. Growing up in high school, you know, we we had we had hella guys um go Division One. Um, it was it was something that meant everything to us. We wanted to win, not only to win, but we wanted to um, make a name for ourselves and you know, build something, a legacy. In high school, that was something. I had a chance to be a part of what um Keaton and the guys and um that experience was was something I'll never forget. It was nothing like it. I felt like not only that we did it, but the way we did it because we started that year off zero two, not knowing what the outcome of that season would look like. That's what said a lot to me about that team. Um, just it showed the resiliency of who we were. We started that year off zero two, not knowing what the outcome would be, and then. So enough, we win the state championship. Taiwan, who were some of the, you know, better players that you played against in high school? Mm, I had the chance to go against Justin Jefferson um, in high school in the playoffs. Terrace Marshall, Slade Bolden. I did a little seven-on-seven with um, Jamar Chase. I did seven-on-seven with guys like um, a two-lane receiver. His name was Lawrence Keyes. I, put, I had an opportunity to play against a lot of good guys on the division one level, man. The list go on. Well, that's an incredible list of names. Pretty, pretty impressive. When you're growing up down in New Orleans, I know Katrina happened when you were young, but like, just can you mm-hmm. talk about like just the resiliency of that area for that to happen to that community and for it to be as devastated as it was? And it's become, you know, from everything I read and everything I hear, it's just part of the identity of that area, like the resiliency and and everything that you guys went through. What, what, can you take us through what what it was like down there when the whole community is rebounding from something so tragic, and what what that means to you and what that meant to your family and just that whole area? You no, know, it just taught us to keep fighting. You know, um, no matter what the circumstances is, you know, we started we started from zero, and we had to find a way to rebuild the city and give life back into the city. And it took us time to do it, but, you know, it kind of gave us hope um, as in anything is possible. And that's that's kind of our thing now. And, you know, we what we believe in, we stand on it, you know, and we, we, we'll, we'll go to bat for it till our last breath. And just being a part of that, seeing that growing up in that environment, I feel like that's what kind of molded me into the person I am today. Dylan, you've talked about your how you learned about football, how you started playing, and your your beginning days of playing. But when you look at your All Sports bio, it says your nickname is Wheezy. Would you be able to kind of mm-hmm. tell us where that comes from and kind of what that means to you? Yeah, so um, 
that's a nickname I kind of been having since like I was a little kid. Girls used to like make nicknames with my name because my name was Taiwan. So I kind of used to get teased for my name. My name wasn't the coolest growing up. And then um, and when I got to high school and I started, you know, making plays, my coaches they'll say a nickname and they'll just be like T Weezy or Weezy, you know, just it was just something they took and ran with. And um it kind of stuck not only back at home, but when I went to college. Taiwan, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Just to just to close things out here, we always like asking our guests, you know, you put a lot of time into football and I'm sure it takes up a, a big part of your life, but what's something that, that people maybe wouldn't know about you or something that, you know, I'm sure you get questions from guys like us all the time about the game of football. What's something that people wouldn't know about you or maybe something about your life that you don't always get a chance to talk about that you would want you'd want to talk about? Um, I actually like to do podcasts, man. Um, you know, outside of football, outside of football, um, me and my uh, roommate from Colorado State, he's actually like a longtime friend. I grew up with him, uh, Mikael Harvey. He actually works for ESPN now. We, um, you know, we talk about podcasts all the time, like after I'm finished playing football, like what's it going to look like? And um, I want to get into media, stuff like that. And we want, like, we watch The Pivot. We watch First Take. We watch all those shows and, like, we, we enjoy watching it. So that's something we want to try to get into once, you know, my playing days are over. That's awesome, man. Happy to have you on. Appreciate it. Well, listen, man, good luck. Uh, good luck Saturday. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, man. Y'all have a good one. Appreciate y'all for having me. All right. Thanks, Taiwan. A right, big thank you to Taiwan Francis for spending some time with us this week. Guys, we'll, we'll touch on the Norfolk State game briefly before we get into the Miami game here. But, I mean, not that this one was too hard to predict. Not that Temple was certainly coming off any sort of dominant performance against Rutgers. They lost 36-7. to But I think we said last week that this was going to be the Jaquez Smith game. Get in there, get out of there, you know, run the ball on them. They ended up winning 41-9, to and Jaquez Smith started. Uh, when Ed Sadie, when they did start going to him, Sure enough, he fumbles, and yeah. uh, that didn't work out so well. But, uh, yeah, they, they certainly did not play – a perfect game by any means, but this was, I mean, you heard Taiwan say, like, I don't know if I would call it a get right game, but for lack of a better term, that's what it was. You know, you're coming off a, a 36 to seven game against Rutgers where you're right there in the fourth quarter. And then Rutgers just really just reels off 23 unanswered points at that point. And they needed to feel good about themselves. They needed to run block. They did that. Not a whole lot to take from this game, but obviously Jaquez Smith, huge, huge positive. What else stood out to you guys? And there, because there are like beyond some of the positives, I think there are still a couple of things to be concerned about. Obviously, what did you guys take away from this game? Um, first, I guess so. If you want to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to our listeners, Declan has too much power now. Way too much power. <laughs> You're like a kid with a with a new toy. This is just. Oh, I mean, keep saying things. Like, keep back in the off. Like, that's what's going to happen. Here, go ahead. I'm sorry. This was definitely a get-right game. Yeah. Taiwan couldn't say that because you never want to look past any opponent. Right. But it was definitely a get-right game for them. The offense clicked. The offensive line actually played well. The linebackers got their act together from records. They played well. Dewan Black had a outstanding performance. It seems like he's been getting better and better mm-hmm. every week. And Saturday was in encapsulation of all of that. Mm-hmm. The corners, per usual, usually they usually play well, and they play well again. Um, Saturday, everything just went right for them, and they needed that. 
Yeah, and they dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, like, you know, Stan Drayton has talked about the fact, like, hey, our, our running backs need to run through contact. They can't expect, like, these huge holes to be there. But last Saturday, there were some there were some pretty wide running lanes to get through there. But we saw what Jaquez Smith is capable of. I mean, that 51-yard touchdown run, I don't know if he was. He was untouched. Yeah, he was yeah, untouched it seemed on like that, it. really mm-hmm. accelerated. And then he, I think he's talked in the past about how he wasn't really – that much of a pass catcher at Tampa Jesuit. He ran for more than 5,000 yards in his high school career, but lo and behold, on his first you know, career college touchdown, he catches a, a 15-yard touchdown pass. Offensive line for, what, a, maybe part of a quarter? For At first, they were, f- for the first time in Stan Drayton's tenure here, in his 15-game tenure, I guess? Well, they're three games in, right? So yeah. they were able to start. Luke Watson left tackle. Uh, Diego Brajas, I guess, was he dressed and he was available but didn't play, right? So Luke Watson at left tackle, Jackson Pruitt left guard, Rich Rodriguez at center, Wisdom Corsi at right guard, Victor Stolfo at right tackle. Over the first three weeks, that right side of the line, for the most part, with the exception of the first week when Wisdom Corsi couldn't play, that right side of the line has been a little bit more stable. Luke Watson plays, um, was it the third series? Bryce Tolman's in. Rich Rodriguez came in. He is day-to-day at this point, right? Yes. So on Monday, Stan Drayton talked about he's day-to-day and Diego Barajas is day-to-day, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. They're all day-to-day. Um, yeah. Everyone. So a yeah. couple of concerning things, though, and maybe I'm being too harsh on but I don't think so. Again, it's a 41-9 to game. Maybe it sounds like we're nitpicking. You can't have a safety on a hold in the end yeah. zone against an FCS team. I realize, again, this is not a legendary offensive line. I realize they're young. Luke Watson is is a true freshman. Jackson Pruitt is a redshirt freshman. But and the the officiating crew never said who was guilty of the hole. But yeah, still not a great look. And then Jackson Pruitt got benched. Yeah, he got benched in favor of John Fagley. Now now Jackson stayed in on I think uh, on special teams. And again, maybe John Fagley is next in line there. He's a walk on from Newman Garetti, but redshirt freshman. Guys are allowed to get better. They're allowed to develop. And Stan Drayton, I think, kind of covered for him after the game. I said, hey, what happened with Jackson? He's like, eh, he just wasn't playing well. But he's still young. We still believe in him. But, again, not super encouraging that you got benched against – and, again, not to not to bury them, but we said this last week. I mean, Norfolk State, not only are they an FCS program, they're a bad FCS program. They lost to Virginia State hmm. a couple weeks ago on just a, a comedy of errors when they were just <laughs> yeah. trying to send the game to yeah. overtime. Yeah. So From both teams. Yeah, and – that that would be the most concerning thing that I would take out of last week. You know, otherwise they did what they were supposed to do. Um, most of the other units on the team can feel pretty good about themselves. They had a couple of touchbacks, but even still, they're still not putting every. You know, they still don't really have a kickoff specialist. Yeah. But you know, they feel they can feel good about themselves for a week. But now they got a much much better Miami team, obviously, yes. and we all knew that. But the offensive line is still. Oof. Yeah. It's, uh, that left side is very tenuous at best, and now it gets really, really hard this week. Also, nine penalties as yep. a unit, yeah. which you cannot do. I mean, they went from having three penalties, I believe, week one, something like that, to nine. And some of them, like you mentioned, the hold in the end zone, there were a couple like kind of drive-stalling penalties as mm-hmm. well that you just, if you're going to go play number 20 team in the country, you cannot do, you cannot have mistakes like that. And And Stan kind of blamed himself like, said that you know we need to be more disciplined that's on me but if you're in the moment like that and you're playing a higher quality opponent yeah you know that's that's the kind of stuff that like you know you shoot your own foot and 
take yourself out of a game rather than get beat by a better team. You know what I mean? Yeah, we mentioned injury updates. Mir just said everybody's day-to-day. That includes Evandy Rigby. He didn't suit up for the game. Jaquavia Mahone didn't suit up for the game. So those guys are day-to-day. Obviously, having both those guys back against a very good Miami team would certainly help. Again, we've talked about the fact that that Temple's defensive line typically isn't the group that's going to be generating a lot of the pressure up front. Alan Hay, great chance for him to play against his former team. This week, we talked to him this week. He was made available to reporters. But having Jaquavia Mahomes back would be huge. Having Evandy Rigby back would be huge. To kind of just transition this now into looking ahead to Saturday, Mir, I'll ask you this first. I mean, obviously, again, we've been touching on it, the offensive line. This might sound like the overly simple thing to do, but you talked about heading into the season. Hey, I think you could see them in a lot of like 12 personnel I know it sounds like the standard thing to say. Is this the week where we see him saying like, hey, we're not going to necessarily just leave Luke Watson out on an island. Now, I don't know who Temple's best pass blocking tight end is. I don't know if that's James Delapasca. I don't know if it's it's David Martin Robinson. I don't know if Peter Clark has been a good <laughs> you know, pass blocker in a short amount of time. But you can't measure it on all this. Miami has, I think, three sacks coming into this game, but they do generate a lot of pressure. They are, I think, the eighth best they have the eighth best rushing defense in the entire country against early on so running the ball on them is not going to be easy but how do they help fortify that offensive line this week you got to give them help yeah whether it is the tight ends whether it's a running back chipping out the backfield you have to give those excuse me you have to give their tackle the tackles help Mm -hmm. that is the only way that they're going to protect ej Mm -hmm. because I don't think they can hold up one-on-one on the outside. Against Norfolk State, did okay. Bryce Toman did okay. But if he has to play, he's competent at center, but I think you'd probably rather have Rich Rodriguez in there. And it's not like Rich is an all-conference center. He's serviceable. But my other question, too, is, so if you have a back chipping out of the backfield, does that mean you're taking Jaquez Smith off the field more times than you want to? Not to say that Ed Sadie is huge, but Jaquez listed at 5'8" probably closer to like five six you gotta have him on the field because he's your best chance at, at getting a running game going but is he coming off the f- on one hand you don't want him coming off the field on passing downs because he did show at least on one occasion he could catch the ball but does that also make it tough like if he is just smaller by stature and size like does that also present a, a challenge if you're Danny Langsdorf no I don't think so because pass protection isn't at least as a running back pass protection isn't passive you have to attack if you're, right. you're going to, you have to strike first if you're um, a running back in pass pro. Right. And if he's going to just come out and chip, mm-hmm. you just have to you hold. You just got to get a little bit of, yeah. Yeah, you just have to give Watson some help, give Stoffel some help just long enough so that EJ can find mm-hmm. whoever he needs to find. But what if, and I'm being negative here, what if like on a couple of passing downs, like he just, Quest just gets steamrolled? I mean, does Stan and Danny say, all right, we got to get Sadie on the field more. We got to get Darvon Hubbard on the field more. We got to get E.J. Wilson on the field more. It depends on what they want to do. Yeah. If they want to have their backs pass protect, I don't think, I don't necessarily think that's the best way to go about it. But if you want your backs to stay in and pass protect, then yeah, if he gets run over a couple times, Sadie might be in the backfield all day. But I think you can slow down a pass rush by yeah. doing things like draws mm-hmm. or draw plays or quick screens whether it's um a bubble screen or a tunnel screen to a um receiver 
even even tight end screens, running back, um, halfback screens, just little things to try to slow the rush down and make the defensive ends think instead of having them just attack. Mm-hmm. We were talking before we started recording this segment about Leonard Taylor, a guy that jumped out to you, an interior defensive lineman. Uh, again, stats don't tell the whole story. I think he has five sacks over his past couple of seasons, but you were talking about some of his PFF numbers. Like, uh, some people love pro football focus. Some people think it's overrated, but this is one of several guys they're going to have to contend with. Can they contend with him? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just think he's that good. He's projected first-round pick. Mm-hmm. They have a couple guys on that defense that are projected first-round picks, but Taylor – in particular, just very stout, very strong, kind of like a a nose tackle in a sense. Mm-hmm. And if they want any chance at winning, he has to be double teamed. And then you take away, you know, from double teaming the edge rushers who Stan pointed out in his, was it Monday? Yeah, Monday. Yeah, in the Monday press conference that they got some f- speed off the edge. Mm-hmm. And he said that Saturday too, yeah. So the Temple, as of now, on we're recording this on Wednesday. Temple's a twenty-four and a half point underdog heading into this game. I mean, we can jump right to predictions here. I think we're all probably going to predict that Miami's going to win this game. But yeah. so I think we can all we've got four L's predicted here. Final scores around some similar margin. And I think that'll be less meaningful here. Let me flip the script here and ask you guys here before we get to the mailbag and close this out. If I say to you Temple will pull up the upset because of fill-in-the-blank. Johnny, I'll start with you. I think it has to be the offensive line. I think if they're able to stop and give EJ time and give him uh, the ability to actually get the ball out of his hands, Mm -hmm. I think that's the main thing for me. We kind of touched on it a lot, but I think that it has to be the main factor. If they're able to protect EJ and give him time, I think that would be a main factor. Declan? generational Joe Quest Smith game. I think if if <laughs> Miami is focused on stopping the run, that opens it up for EJ a little bit. Maybe they're not, you know, rushing the passer as much because they got to commit to to you know, stopping the run, which maybe opens up the secondary a little bit to to throw over the top. But I think if Joe Quest gets it going early, which is going to be really tough because Miami's defense is so good, but if he really 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 has a great game, that maybe gives Temple a chance in a shootout. Yeah. If Miami's buses doesn't break down, is an answer. Is an answer. <laughs> Ouch. Um, Yikes. I'm right Tell on board. Tell us how you really feel. That's funny. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm right on board with Johnny. Man, that offensive line has to perform. It has to be able to one give EJ time to sit back there in the pocket and make throws, and they have to run run block well I don't think their defense is going to be able to stop Miami's offense Tyler Van Dyke is a damn good quarterback Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of good weapons around him I just don't see them being able to stop them or being able to keep up with them especially because they they like to go size on the outside they have a lot of shifty speedy receivers Mm -hmm. on the outside and that that isn't a matchup that usually is usually won by the bigger corner yeah, their offensive line is going to have to play their behinds off. I will take, not, and not just for the sake of being different, I will say I think if they can force, that's not going to be easy, if they can force three Tyler Van Dyke turnovers, even if it's just 
hitting him again. Probably that pressure is not going to come from Jaquavi Mahone, Alan Hay. They're going to get they're going to get Jordan McGee. Jordan McGee. They're going to get uh, Leighton Jordan back for this game, right? Because his yes. targeting penalty was. in the I first was actually quarter. just going to ask you. It's only one half, right? Yeah. That's- so his targeting targeting was in the first quarter. Like, Leighton has been playing as much, but he is still probably we can say their best edge rusher, right? So if Leighton Jordan. If I'm envisioning, okay, instead of instead of hitting Norfolk State's quarterback, if you can force something on Tyler Van Dyke and make him uncomfortable, if they can pick him up maybe twice, again, easier said than done. I think, again, it sounds so easy to say. Everything you guys are saying, I completely agree with. But they're going to have to, they're going to have to force, I think, at least three turnovers on defense. But again, they haven't been able to make anything happen in special teams. They've tried now two kickoff specialists. And they do have a kickoff return. Miami has a kickoff return this year. So really, really tough game ahead for them. All right, so we asked Taiwan Francis a couple of mailbag questions. During our interview with him, we do have two more mailbag questions here for the staff to close things out. First one comes from the screen name JHG722, one of our loyal subscribers for a long time. His question, as exciting as EJ Warner was last year, right now, in parentheses, do you think the offense is better served going through Jaquez Smith, running the ball instead? Yeah, I mean, you could see, again, our, the only evidence is the, the Rutgers game and the Norfolk State game. But yeah, when, I mean, the players have talked about it. When Now that they have, now that opposing defenses have something, anything to think about in the running game, we, again, we'd have to look back to the USF game last year. Yeah, I, I think you established the run. Even, again, it, it's going to be a lot harder to run the ball in Miami this week. But yeah, absolutely. EJ threw the ball a ton last year, did a great job. But it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out now heading into the season, everybody has film on him. Everybody has multiple weeks of film on him. They see things that he does well. They see things where he needs work. Some throws, he's zipping it right there. Some throws, he puts just the right amount of touch on it. Some throws, he's putting a little too much air under it. And I'm thinking about Miami secondary and thinking, Ugh, he do that this week. It's not going to be pretty. So, yeah, I mean, again, if this offensive line – we know they're better at run blocking than pass blocking. Yeah, I mean, that that has to be over the next few weeks. Steady dose of Jaquez Smith, steady dose of, I'd say maybe even Darvon Hubbard at this point. Oh, um, yeah, he's run know, really well. Uh, you know, because, again, I'm not trying to bury Ed Sadie, but, like, you shouldn't be getting the ball stripped from you against a bad FCS team. No. I know it's something like a broken record, but, yeah, short answer, yeah, absolutely. You, they should be running the offense through Jaquez Smith. Yes, Absolutely. EJ played well last week. I think it was his best game of the week, or excuse me, of the season. And it's because the run game was able to do what it was able to do. Uh, Second question here, or last question to close things out. This is going to break Declan's heart because uh, he has been a a longtime admirer of of Kyle Williams. But the screen name here is Cool Hand Red. What is the status of Kyle Williams, the freshman running back? As I recall, big things were predicted for him this season. Cool Hand Red, I think that yeah, he hasn't he hasn't dressed. He didn't dress for I don't think he's dressed for any game no. this season. Not yet. The short answer on that is he is three games into being a true freshman and he's just behind where Jaquez Smith is right now. It doesn't mean that they've given up on him, but what is him not dressing in these first three games as a true freshman is very, very common. Yes. And, you know, I think you could you could kind of tell as the preseason was closing out, they weren't, you know, they weren't bringing his name up. That's why we've been saying we caution everybody from getting too excited about the spring game. Doesn't mean that Kyle Williams isn't talented; he is, but Jaquez Smith is just ahead of where he is right now. So the status of him is that 
he's probably going to be redshirted. Three weeks from now, we might be telling a different story. These guys can, to a certain extent, control their own futures every week in practice. But And here's where I sound cliche like a coach, doing the little things. If they start seeing him even more in the facility, watching more film, doing this, doing that, doing different things in practice, maybe he will start to you know, be getting more opportunities later on in the season. But right now, he is just kind of behind where Jaquette Smith is. Not more, much more simple than that, unless you guys have anything to add. Not really. I mean, we're not in the building, right? We right. just saw what we saw on film. So yeah. it, it's like you said, he's a true freshman. There's no telling. I mean, there's nobody outside of those walls in EO that would know how he's been progressing right now. So if he's not dressing, there's probably a good reason behind it. Is it a bummer for us who've been talking about him all summer? A little bit, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, he like tried to warn you. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, at the end of the day, he's a true freshman and, and that's what happens sometimes to true freshmen, you know, they redshirt or they just, you know, they don't dress and, and they don't play and that's life. He can be a good talent and not play in his true freshman mm-hmm. year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we will, I'll see all you guys on Saturday. Yes. Oh yeah. Kyle Gauss will be with us at the, uh, and here comes. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, do you think? Kyle. Do you think you overdid it when for for us not having sound effects and like no, nine seasons in now we have sound effects and you're like. Shh, shh. I think I would have overdone it if I did it like every segment. Like it was only yeah. if it warranted. I felt like I feel like point. every time you use it, there, there was a it was a good reason, oh, yeah. and a good spot yeah. for it. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate it. Give me a hard time. I'm just trying Producer. to earn it. What's that? Producer. Yeah, you know me. I'm like, oh, thank, <laughs> you. thank you all so much. And thank now you. you've overdone it. I know. I had to. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get to see somebody in Lock K Saturday at the Link uh, Temple, Miami. Again, Temple's got its hands full, certainly. But should we uh, do a meet and greet? L scoop meet and greet Lock K. Yeah, probably would like to get people more <laughs> more advanced <laughs> notice. Probably do for homecoming. There we'll we do, go. Homecoming. We'll do it for homecoming Perfect. for UTSA. So matching thanks. quarter zips. Matching quarter zips. Yeah, matching so we're quarter get zips. That hopefully it'll be quarter zip season. We need Al scoop. Oh, I'm March. sure it will be Al scoop March. I'll get you one of those hats. We should get an Al Scoop store so that people can buy, like subscribers or other other people as well yeah. can buy their Everybody. own Al Scoop merch. Oh, that would be that's an awesome idea. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> before, before Declan can play the laughing track, or I'm sorry, not the laughing track, the clapping track. One more time, we'll we'll get you guys out of here. Thanks for sticking with us for another episode. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you soon.